Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Your host, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. We are finalising the final shows. We are. It's all very exciting. It's very official at this point. It is. It's talks official at this point. But it's not yet. No. It's... We have no desire to turn this into Lord of the Rings style. Just go away! Despite the fact that's what that, we've done. Essentially, that's what yeah. we've just done. <laughs> Three episodes of goodbye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. What have we done this week? Have we done uh, anything interesting? I don't know. Uh, I don't know, actually. I'm sure I had something that I thought we'll mention that, and then I've completely forgotten what it was. I've just binge-watched The Office. I've been just binge-watching The Office. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so nothing of interest that uh, we have to say. So should we just uh, look at an email? Yeah. I think we should look at Chris Franklin's weekly. We'll miss Chris's emails every week. Do you think you'll we'll still just have an email? Yeah, Chris, will you still email us in every week just to say hi? Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't do the first place much. Mm. So it'd be nice to say hello to him. Back in black. Hello, Leylands, the black costume. Man, those were exciting times, weren't they? I must have been living under a rock because I had no idea the black costume was coming despite buying all the Spidey titles on a regular basis. My memory is foggy, but I know that I missed Amazing Spider-Man 252 on the newsstand. I think I first saw the black suit on a serial ad inside another Marvel book. The Hulk was shown holding boxes of General Mills cereals with either free comics inside or a coupon for a free comic, and one of them was Amazing Spider-Man 252. Since when did Spidey get a new costume? How many issues did I miss? How much do I hate newsstand distribution? I think another question that we need to add to Chris's email there is, what the hell is General Mills cereal? Um, is it like Captain Crunch? Is it? Because I remember those adverts. Can you not have cereal unless there's something about you, unless you're a general or a captain <laughs> or a count? <laughs> okay. Alright, alright, back to Chris's email. I think I first saw the black suit in the Spectacular Spider-Man issue 90. 90? 90, 90. Here in 90. Immediately followed by Amazing Spider-Man 253. From there, I was able to keep up with the saga for the most part, only missing a few issues here and there. The DeFalco Friends run was a consistently solid and engaging run of comics. Nothing groundbreaking, but just good comics. I'll take that any day. Being really into the Lee Ditko reprints in Marvel Tales at the time, I was very receptive to Friends' retro take on Spidey. He'd later go over to Thor and do a damn fine Kirby pastiche without totally abing Kirby. I feel he's vastly underrated. Oh, and not to be one of those know-it-all types, but the toy company that produced the Secret Wars toys was Mattel, not Toy Biz. 
Did we say Tybiz? Or did we say Matt? Did we? I'll take your word for it. Mattel had ditched the Secret Shield concept to DC, who was shopping around for a toy license after Mego went belly up, which also left Marvel free as well. DC chose Kenner's superpowers concept, and Mattel went to Marvel, and the rest is history. Toy Biz had the next Marvel toy line, which launched around 1990, and of course led to tons of Marvel toys, and Toy Biz actually owning Marvel at one point. Looking forward to part two and the amazing Bagman. Chris. We liked Amazing Bagman. We did. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I, I don't remember if I said Toy Biz, but I'm sure I'm sure I meant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what's his name? Didn't I? I'm sure I meant to get it right. I just didn't. <laughs> it's usually how it goes. It's the story of the show. Mm-hmm. We meant to make it better. Sadly, it just wasn't on the cards, was it? Derek Crabb has emailed in. Hey Kids Comics, Volume Four, Thirty Six, The Alien Costume Saga, Part One. That's what I like about a headline. Straight yeah. to the point. <laughs> Hello, Michael and Andrew. Regarding the topic of where Peter's camera goes, I would point out that I've always considered Web of Spider-Man Annual 3 to be my Spider-Man Bible as far as those sorts of things are concerned. Spider-Tracers can be kept and shot for his web shooters, and there is a mini camera on his belt. Now, this is interesting, because we had a Facebook conversation about this. Oh, I did. I don't think Michael got involved with it. Where people did talk about this. Um, and Derek's very kindly sent us a link um, to Web of Spider-Man Annual Number 3, which is basically a recreation of the same stuff in Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 1, only with the black costume rather than the, the red and the blue. Now, the issue that we had when we talked about this on Facebook is, at no point in that story... Did we see that Peter was wearing the utility belt where mm-hmm. he keeps the web fluid and the spider signal? Is this not correct? That's correct. Because most of the time, you saw him in his underwear. Yeah. He didn't put the belt on. Right. At no point in that story. And somebody, and I forget who, I do apologise because it was a Facebook conversation, pointed out that he does use the spider signal in that story. So he must yeah. have had the belt on to use the spider signal. That but my is. argument still maintains that we never saw the belt. We okay. never saw that he was wearing the utility belt. Because if you think about it, why would he? The belt is ostensibly for keeping spur web cartridges. He doesn't he? need web yeah. cartridges. Yeah. Just like he didn't wear his web shooters while he had the black costume. So whilst, you know, it's a perfectly valid suggestion, the belt, at no point in that story did we see that he was wearing the belt. So that is my argument, and I am sticking to it. It right. weren't on the page, so it ain't on the stage. Retcon. Yeah. I suppose somebody could go in on a black and white reprint and just draw the belt in on the essential volumes and say, look, he was wearing the belt. And we would go, okay, because we're too lazy to go and check. Yeah, that's true. I think that would happen. As to Craven versus Puma, I find it interesting that while I like and respect Thomas Fireheart, and I'll get to the specifics in a moment, that certain Spider-Man friends who I've always deferred to as being more of an expert than I would often cite the same thing. Puma is a Craven clone. As to why it never really occurred to me, well, Craven doesn't actually turn into an animal, not literally, unless you count his power up in the spectacular Spider-Man episode Destructive Testing, and that, I would submit, makes Craven a clone of Puma. Is Stalker from Batman Beyond a Craven clone? Yes. Puma, for me, always stood out because we shared a similar background. It's not often you see a Native American character in comics that was actually a businessman in the modern era. Like Wyatt Wingfoot or Johnny Cloud, those were always important characters, regardless of any disdain or friendly mockery fans had for them. Um, I can get that if if you've got the Native American thing. Yeah. But I think that we weren't specifically saying that Puma is a direct clone 
of Craven. I think we actually use the word wannabe Craven. Because, right. yes, Craven doesn't, isn't manimal. He doesn't <laughs> Simon McCorkendale into somebody else, does he? That's no. wearing a tuxedo and all that stuff. But his, his entire reason for being is essentially Craven shtick. He hunts men for money. Yeah. Which is essentially what Craven does. Now, Craven originally hunted animals for money. Yeah. He was a big game hunter. But man is the most but dangerous man game. is the most dangerous game, yeah. And ultimately... Especially Spider-Man. Especially Spider-Man. And that's what he turned to. So that's, what, that's where we were coming from when we said we think Puma is a Craven clone. In terms of the actual... What they did, there's very little difference. Yeah. And you get the impression that Puma has also hunted every man, beast, or whatever over the course of his lifetime. Uh, Derek continues, anyway, this is a fun bit of coverage, as is one of the high points in my Spider-Man reading history, although I admit I probably have more of a fondness for those Peter Parker alien costume issues than you guys do, as they were some of the first issues of Peter Parker that I ever read and received as a gift from my aunt as a child. I did skip ahead, as I've not finished reading Multiversity yet, but I'll let you know what I think of those episodes once I do finish reading, and take a listen to the previous Hey Kids comments. Well, feel free to do that, because Michael gets upset when people don't email about his episodes. Uh, Derek is a host of History and Comics on Film, which is hocof.blogspot.com, and the Fanholes podcast at fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. Both worth checking out. And we'll squeeze another one in, because it's Luke. Some say that he's not emailed into the show in quite some time, and that it's quite conceivable he's now out of a job. All we know is he's called Luke Giaconetta. Can we still do those, now that he's, he's banned from the BBC? Stig Fired isn't banned from the BBC. Is he not? No, no. Does the BBC own Stig? Are they still going to bring the Stig back? I would imagine that the Stig will still be around in new Top Gear. Right, okay. Whether new Top Gear will be any good remains yeah. to be seen. But you may you may get to the point five years down the line where people are like, do you remember when it was hosted by those three old blokes? Do you remember when it was hosted by those three old blokes that made the show what it was? <laughs> <laughs> For better or worse, they made the show. I don't know, I think Chris Evans is a good choice. Okay. I honestly do. I think Chris Evans is a great choice for Top Gear. I mean, I'm sure the same people that whined about Clarkson and wanted him off. Because yeah. people were gunning for him. Hmm. That's, I think that's fair to, to, fair to say. But at the same time, he did bring a certain lot of it on himself, didn't he? Yeah. Because, you know, he was on his final warning. And, you know, you don't punch somebody in the face at work. Unless they really deserve it. But then the guy was fine with it. It was Clarkson. Yeah, it was, it was Clarkson turned himself in, didn't he? Yeah. So, you know. Anyway, you know, it's over now. They didn't accept our application for the gig. They didn't. I suspect that you saying, this car's great, but this comic! <laughs> I suspect that your audition pitch did not go down well That's with the producers of Top Gear. They wouldn't let me drive the cars. Would they not? They wouldn't. Because <laughs> you can't drive. <laughs> <laughs> I did think that that was a stumbling block in our application. Yeah, yeah. But I figured you could always just use a stuntman they never know would they they, wouldn't, they can no. do wonderful things now with CG from the back yeah and CG the, your face onto it yeah me and, me and the stunt woman look similar <laughs> from the back you and Zoe Bell <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> look exactly alike if you don't put us next to each other <laughs> and she talks like that mm-hmm. although she is pretty cool stunt woman She's Xena's stunt woman. Did you know that? She's Xena warrior princess's stunt woman. Anyway, Luke has an email. Should we read it? <laughs> Alien Andy and the black-suited Michael. Oh, he's got a, a subject heading. Without this story, we never would have had We Want to Eat Your Brain. I was so happy to see you guys were going to cover Spider-Man's alien costume saga. As you may remember, 
The first comic book character I was obsessed with was Venom. So the alien costume and its origins were very important to me as a young man of 11. As such, the saga of the alien costume was the second trade paperback I ever bought. The first being, of course, Spider-Man vs. Venom. You've got that mm-hmm. in the bedroom. I do remember at the time not liking this trade as much as Spider-Man vs. Venom, which I read at least a hundred times. Looking back on it in the light of your coverage, I think there's more of an issue of the relative tight focus on Venom in the stories in that volume. A couple of pages from Amazing Spider-Man 298, 299, then 300, then 315, 317, compared with the more episodic nature of the alien costume storyline. But in the passage of time between the last time I read it and now, far, far too many years, I will admit, I think I really will enjoy rereading it, as I'm now more alive with the style of storytelling which is evident in this storyline. I do have to say, even as a kid, I was unimpressed with Puma, although the presence of the Rose was intriguing to me, and I too dig Jack-O-Lantern. I also want to say that I was incredibly bugged that the saga of the alien costume trade did not include Web of Spider-Man number one! That is an egregious omission, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Not include the last part of the story. Yeah. It's like having a book and not publishing the last chapter. Yeah. Seems a bit silly to me. Anyway, Luke continues. This is such a classic story that parts of it have become part of the popular knowledge for Spider-Man among even non-comics fans, thanks to the various cartoon and movie adaptations. It's one of those strange science fiction stories which actually works for Spider-Man, because ultimately the point of the story is that something which should be a boon for Spidey turns out to be something much worse. I mean, that's Parker look right there, isn't it? get a magical alien costume that solves several of his ongoing problems, only it turns out to be alive and tries to change him into one half of a symbiotic dual organism. The cover to Amazing Spider-Man 258 and the instance of that imagery in both the comic as well as in the 90s Spider-Man cartoon is one of my all-time favourite comic images. It should have been used in Spider-Man 3, but oh well. I do have to say that the later edition of the alien costume, drawing out the aggression and darker instincts deep within Peter's psyche, is a useful tool for adaptation storytelling, but it doesn't make a lot of sense for a Venom fanboy. It was the shared hatred of Peter which drew Eddie to Venom. Depending on which stories you read and which writer you believe, the idea of the alien costume as a symbiote works both and doesn't work. This mostly gets expanded upon in various Venom stories. When Eddie and the symbiote merge, Eddie does not have the exhaustion that Peter does. Instead, they work together, making each other stronger. Eddie says that exact thing in one of his earlier experiences. I suppose you could no-prize it as saying that Peter was fighting against the costume on a subconscious level, which ties into the dream sequence in issue 258, whereas Eddie embracing his new partner. But later writers, I think including Dan Slott, played up the parasitic angle, including a what-if or something where Venom was just the symbiote swinging around on a corpse. And then the whole stupid concept of the alien costume possessing its host started, and the whole point was completely lost. To me, it's a symbiote, because Venom, QED. Loved hearing you guys cover this story, included Web 1, which I've never actually read, and once I finish reading my current book, I am totally going to bust out my old copy of Saga of the Alien Costume. For as long as you guys keep recording, keep on slinging, Luke. Well, you're very welcome, Luke. I had um, a blast doing the alien costume, and it only came about because I got that trade for cheap. Yeah, on eBay, and we're at that point now. We're like, yeah, go on, let's do this. <laughs> Anything goes at the minute, doesn't it? Mm. That's that's what it is. Except for us sitting there going, oh well, we couldn't do that. <laughs> we've not we, we've not got time to do that now. And Turns oh, out anything doesn't go. We never got around to V for Vendetta. And oh, what can we do now? And, oh, uh, oh, that's a good idea. All of that. Anyway, we'll knock it on the head though, because uh, we have only got one or two emails left in the sack. Uh, so that's a shame, isn't it? Mm. So we'll have a break. We'll plug a podcast. And we will be right back after this commercial break with Green Arrow. My name is Oliver Queen. (laughs) I used to to be a spy. spy. (laughs) 
Guys, we finally developed our time machine. Should we use it to go back and see how Stonehenge was built? Or become friends with Hitler and convince him to stay in art school. Or we could go back in time and get the comic books we missed. Yeah! Yeah! The Comic Book Time Machine. A journey back in time to explore comic books. Good and bad. Whether from seven decades ago or seven days ago. Join our journey at comicbooktimemachine.com. Whilst looking at the post-crisis era of DC Comics over the past few weeks, it got me thinking of the DC Comics I started reading. We're all nostalgic as we approach the end, aren't we? Back in the day, DC didn't pay much attention to its continuity, or at least as much as Marvel did. Events happened, and as the multiverse became more popular, certain of these events were schlepped off to Earth 1 or Earth 2. There were times, though, when DC did attempt to streamline its stories into one coherent narrative and a slight redo of their history to make it all work. The untold legends of the Batman attempted to take all the disparate Batman origin graphs from the, at that point, 40-year history of the character and streamline it into a whole in three issues. Imagine doing it in three issues nowadays. (laughs) It's exposition central, but is nevertheless an entertaining and interesting read, especially for those who only know Batman's origins from year one onwards. It does show that long before Batman begins, DC was attempting to explain everything about Batman and his backstory. Superman had a number of miniseries about the world of Krypton, but the only real time DC attempted to streamline his backstory into a single narrative was The Secret Years. It had some interesting covers by Frank Miller, but was hurt by the fact that it was released in 1985, only a few short months before it would be rendered obsolete by the crisis on Infinite Earths. Like Batman, Wonder Woman also had a series called The Untold Legend of Wonder Woman, but those readers looking for a summation of the character's history to that point would be disappointed. Rushed into production post-crisis simply because of DC's contract with Wonder Woman's creators necessitated some Wonder Woman product on the shelves, this mini isn't a tidying house exercise, but a golden age adventure by Kurt Busiek and Trina Robbins. It's fondly remembered by fans, but not really as advertised by the title. The most interesting series of this kind for me was the 1983 miniseries Green Arrow by Mike W. Barr and Trevor Von Eden. Green Arrow had always been a problematic character, not least for his desperate unoriginality and campy nature. Co-creator Mort Weisinger denies any similarity to Batman, but when you have an Arrow cave, an Arrow car, an Arrow plane, a trophy room and an Arrow signal, one suspects Mr. Weisinger was deluding himself. Green Arrow already had two distinct origins, one from More Fun Comics in 1943 and one from a 1959 issue of Adventure Comics. As mentioned above, the first origin was later said to be the origin of the Earth 2 Green Arrow, whilst the latter being that of Earth 1. Still, there was enough confusion that DC felt it was high time Green Arrow was redefined for the 1980s. Whenever we've covered Oliver Queen before, I've mentioned that I quite like him. I like that he's a big mouth and he's politically motivated. Whilst his political leanings can be a tad heavy-handed, depending on the writer, he has his heart in the right place, and when handled well can be one of the more interesting characters in the DC pantheon. And he has kick-ass facial hair. Do you like Green Arrow? Uh, I've made you cover him enough Yeah. the Longbow Hunters. I don't know, I'm neither here nor there with him. You don't watch Arrows either, though, do you? I don't. He's, he's one of those who's been many different things over the years. I like the Mike Grell version. Yeah. I think that's my favourite version. Have they toned him down a bit in New 52, eh? Uh, I've... No. Or have they made it more like the in, TV in show? In the Jeff Lemire one, it's, it's very definitely kind of the TV show one. Right. The inclusion of Diggle. 
Oh, he's Diggle in it. Yeah. What about Felicity Smoke? I don't think she is. Just Diggle. Yeah. I do like Diggle. When <laughs> after Brightest Day, they kind of turn him into an urban legend. Oh right. Because because he's never done that before. Yeah, that one city and it got turned into a massive forest. Right. I don't. So remember. he stalked the forest. Right. But that's all gone now. That's all gone now. Because it's not New Fifty Two. So the Jeff Lemire, Andrea Sorrentino stuff mm. that's worth reading. Because uh, the art looked nice. Yeah, I've not read all of it because we're missing a couple of issues. Right. Okay. But it's 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 really good. Yeah, it's essentially the DC Hawkeye. Right. Well, is that not why Jeff Lemire is now doing Hawkeye? That could be. Yeah. <laughs> Even though Matt Fraction's not finished his Hawkeye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But someone's got to fill in the one year gap between yeah. issues. <laughs> the annual comic that is Hawkeye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Accommodated uh, May 1983, Green Arrow number one has GA facing down the barrels of numerous guns whilst stood in front of a target. Very clumsy of him to be lured into such an obvious trap. And that's some piss poor aiming. It is, isn't it? The bullets are around him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're deliberately not trying to it's, shoot him. It's like they're trying to take a pee drunk. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's being set upon by an awful lot of bullets as we've mm. mentioned. But green arrow is only allowed to fire back neutered arrows with no tips. They all look like chur legs. Well, he's shot one in that gun. He has he? he has shot one in a gun, yeah, but uh, see this is this is my problem with this era. The it's arrows like, are just as lethal as guns are. They kinda wa- no, it's they kinda wanna up him a bit. Yeah. Gritty him up a bit, but they're still not allowed to actually have him put an arrow through somebody. And we wouldn't get that until we got to the long Isn't that what trick arrows are for? Yeah. I can't kill people so he's a boxing glove yeah and it's one of them I don't know what it is I can't suspend my disbelief with a bow and arrow yeah because the whole point of a, an arrow back in ye olde medieval times was just the damage that it did to the human body yeah so the fact that you've got neutered bows and arrows just it was almost as stupid to me as mercy bullets yeah, yeah. Which I never, even as a kid I never wrapped my head around mercy bullets hmm. it was like that's not how bullets work <laughs> Sorry. So, uh, so I'm, I think that's why we came on. I think that's why I came on anyway with longbow hunters, and that's my preferred Green Arrow. Yeah. Which is why I was quite surprised that I enjoyed this as much as I did. Mm. Not burying the lead, obviously. Do you like the cover? Uh, yeah. Trevor Von Eden's brilliant in this book, and um, I think Trevor Von Eden is actually one of the great unknown artist. He's very stylized. Yeah, it's a shame about the colouring though, because the art's really good and clean, it's just the uh, the colouring. Yeah, well, you know, you it's this era of comic and this printing of comic and the colouring that's available to yeah. him. There are some places where it is really good, hmm. which we'll get into as we go through the book, but there's a bit of a Bill Sinkovich vibe to him. Yeah. Bit of Frank Miller. Mm. Bit of Matt Wagner. Yeah. You think? But why he never became a hotter artist I'll never understand because I I think he's uh, he's absolutely on form in this issue he did a great Batman annual the Rachel Gould Batman annual with um, it may have been Mike W. Barr actually Mm. I think it was Batman annual number 8 something about a sun god or something okay I'd have to dig that out and reread it because I remembered really loving that one as a kid anyway as we said Mike W. Barr wrote the series Trevor Van Eden did the art Dick Giordano did the inking allegedly do we follow that up with everything now? I think we do. Well, you can't you can't be sure that it's him anymore, can you? I guess. Once you've learned that story that it wasn't him, yeah, you can't. It puts a taint on everything that he did. Then it's like, did he really ink that, or did he not? Mm. So you can't be sure. 
All My Sins Remembered is the title of the issue. The night begins, as most nights do for journalist Oliver Queen, clad in the emerald garb of the Green Arrow and preventing muggings and assorted robberies. The night goes well, and G.A. returns to his apartment where he is greeted by Deidre Wagner, junior attorney for Abby Horton. Cue flashback music as Ollie remembers a time when he was still a rich man, if I was a rich man, and out to buy Mrs. Horton's corporation back when she was a leader in medical research. With her husband recently deceased, Horton sees in Ollie a kindred spirit for her husband, and the deal goes through. Thus begins a May-December friendship between Ollie and the much older Abby that the tabloids assume to be romance. It's not, largely because Ollie only has eyes for Abby's daughter, Cynthia. Sadly, they have nothing in common. Ollie prefers the fights of the boxing ring and Cynthia prefers the tights of the ballet. They split and Ollie, needing a change of scenery, takes a cruise. The cruise is attacked by pirates and Ollie thrown overboard. Uh, he washes up on an island, bedraggled and waterlogged, but alive. On the island, Ollie learns to adapt or die, and he becomes an expert bowman with a self-constructed bow and arrow. When the pirates return to the island with the booty, they find a man named Oliver Queen. After some time on this hellish island, he has returned home with a new goal, a new purpose. To that end, he must be someone else. He must be something else. All this adventuring cannot prevent him from losing his fortune, though. Abby offers to help, but Ollie, headstrong as ever, refuses. Back in the present, Abby is dead. Deirdre asks if Ollie will be at the will reading, and he says he will. Once there, he is reunited with Cynthia, now married to Lord Gerald Sinclair, don't you know? As you may expect, the will reading is full of snooty upper-class types, none of whom are pleased when Ollie is left $34 million and controlling interest in Horton Chemicals. Apparently, Abby changed her will two days ago, the night before she died. Ollie isn't terribly interested in the money, but given these leeches, it's better in his hands than anybody else's. He lets them know what he thinks of them and storms off in a huff. Just in time, too, as the room explodes. Ollie dons his costume and chases a perp running away, but before he can be questioned, he burns up, literally. Ollie realises there's only one way he'll get answers. The next day, he takes his place as the head of Horton Chemicals. Takes his rightful place as the Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> as the Queen of Horton Chemicals. Do, 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 do. The Queen of Oliver. Yeah, I get it. Again. We're straining today, <laughs> that's to be said. <laughs> um, excellent splash page by uh, Trevor Von Eden, which is going to become a refrain in this issue. Uh, Eden's work is, is brilliant it's kind of like a montage poster shot bringing us up to date on uh, Oliver Queen and who he is and how he came to be I don't see the point of turning Oliver into a journalist making him less like Batman to make him more like Superman how does yeah, that work? I, I thought that was weird because this is the only time I've seen it Yeah, but it, it was interesting seeing Oliver Queen who wasn't a businessman when I'm used to him being a businessman had he lost all his money in Green Arrow or Green Lantern? Is that, when, is that when he got his social conscience? When he suddenly realised he had no money? Probably. And he wasn't one of them. He, was one of, he wasn't one of the 99%. Yeah, yeah. Or one, one of the 1%. Bit, I don't bit, know. Bitter he lost all his money, yeah. so he starts fighting for the so small he, man. So he turns into one of them big mouth, loud mouth, yeah, won't yeah. shut up <laughs> about his politics. Because mm-hmm. he, he is so annoying in those Green Lance and Green Arrow stories. Yeah, he re- you just get the. I discussed this when we did it with Michael Bailey on Bruce from the Long Box, but you just give the impression that Hal's just sat in the pub, nursing a beer, <laughs> and Ollie's ranting about the, the the state of the world, and he's got all these these wacky ideas going on, and Hal's just just shut up. I want a beer. 
haven't, haven't he turned him into like more lighthearted now? Like he jokes about himself because of that. Well, he's not political at all in this story, is he? He's not. He's he's quite uh, politically incorrect. In with, some cases, one of yeah. my all-time favorite lines. Well, not all-time, but my favorite line of the series: "Damn liberated women." Oh yeah, yeah let him out of the kitchen. He is actually really sexist. He is, yeah. Yeah, well done, Ollie. <laughs> God. So what happened to all that 70s stuff about equality and such? Did he just throw that out the window when yeah. he became a journalist? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the opening is standard comic book for of the time. It's no different to any number of other superhero stories. Hero drops burglary. Mm. It's well done, though. And indicating how the, the comic will go, there's a lot of really small panels on this page then folded by a big splash. Yeah which Von Eden executes magnificently throughout the, all four issues, doesn't he? Yeah. De- decreasing and increasing the size of his panels depending on what's happening in the action in the comic. It's really good. There's a brilliant bit where one of the Huds says that he studied under the best. Bruce Lee, Chuck Norris, and then Oliver Queen just kicks the crap out of him in one go. Yeah. It's one of those uh, Indiana Jones would have just shot him yeah. moments. As good as the art is, there are some cases where it's a little bit confusing as to what's going on. Yeah, I was... What did he do, though? I don't know. Because... It's just a, a, a shot of legs. Yeah, he, he runs at Ollie doing a thingy or kick, a leap through the air kick, yeah. and then there's a shot of Ollie's legs, and then he falls to the floor. Is the implication he just punched him in the balls? Could be. be but in the next panel, he's out cold, instead of going... <laughs> instead of having three Adam apples. Maybe it was that much of a punch... To the nads, it knocked him He blacked out. out. Yeah. All right, fair enough. I can, I can go with that. Uh, absolutely brilliant splash on page three. Yeah. It's the very shading, Miller. Yeah, very, very Miller. The shading on it, and it's one of the few times, like you said, the colouring works. Yeah. The the bright light of the street light behind Ollie's head, but he's all in shading and darkness. That's absolutely fantastic panel. He's almost wearing a hood just because of the way that it's drawn, which is ultimately where Mike Grell would take it take it later on uh, we quickly get into the flashback meat of the uh, of the issue so it felt like an episode of the TV show and <laughs> always in a flashback most of it was a flashback yeah and I, did you think the relationship between Abby and Ollie was oddly written um like what like Bar was deliberately leading you down the alley of this going to be a May December romance between the two of when them when it actually zagged when it actually zagged that she was just interested in setting him up with her daughter well they never say anything like that until they meet the daughter and then all of a sudden he's interested mm. in the daughter well that's what I mean it's like he's for a page and so he sets up that these two have become inseparable yeah and it, for certainly for that page and a half, it felt like that's where he was going with it. That yeah. Ollie was going to get into a relationship with a much older woman. But then, what was supposed to be the main love interest only lasted half a page. Yeah, the, the, she's gone within a page. Yeah, and given how it all turns out, she's only there to set up the ending. Yeah, that's the yeah. only reason for it. Isn't it? Mm. So, because you don't get that they've got anything going on, and they actually go out of their way to point out that they don't have anything in common. So, you know, I mean, it does its job, I suppose. Yeah. There's a lot of strange choices like that in this story, throughout oh. all four issues. It's very interesting in where he decides to trim and where he decides to go for brevity. Yeah, well, the whole origin story's told in... Two, two pages. His entire career as well is just done in 
those two three quarters of a yeah, page. Yeah, exactly. So, so his, yeah, his origin's done in two pages, and his, his career's done in three quarters of a page. I did think that was a bit rushing it. Hmm. But then I, I, I kind of thought afterwards, but it's not about that. That's not what the story's about. So I guess it's just a yeah. A it, it's not Untold Legends of the Batman, where he's trying to tie all the disparate Green Arrow stories into one. It's not Superman: The Secret Years filling in any gaps in his history. Yeah. It's not even trying to retell the origin for the eighties. The origin happened pretty much as it happened in the other ones. There's a little bit of a difference here. In that, in the original origin, I think Ollie just falls off the boat because he's drunk. Right. Or he stumbles, and some guy sees him and he's like, oh, I'm going to let him drown because he's an asshole. Right. And he recovers and it changes him as a person from being an asshole. Yeah. I actually prefer the idea that he gets thrown off the boat because mm. it doesn't make him seem like as big of a jerk. True. That's just that's just my that, opinion. I, I did find it was quite. Ah, you guys playing pirates? No, we are pirates. Yeah, well, that <laughs> was handled really quickly, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. you can't help but think. I've not read Arrow Year One by Andy Diggle. Yeah, and Jock. I do want to because it looks like it'd be quite interesting. But one thing I have got bored of recently just retelling the origins, mm. so I kind of stayed away from it. But I can't help but think they'd probably spend an issue on that boat. Yeah, I would have thought, or at least half an issue. Whereas here, it's what two panels. And he's thrown... Oh, you've got to admire the brevity in storytelling. I guess, yeah. If, if nothing else. Um, as we get to the end, the outcome of the will just isn't a surprise at all, is no. it? No. It's no surprise at all that Ollie's been left a ton of money and he's in charge of Horton Chemicals. Mm. And, and I don't know if it's just me, but these guys saying, like, two million's not enough, and I'm going, bloody hell, two million? <laughs> well, it, was it not a lot in 1984? Well, I suppose so. Well, if she's worth 40-odd million... Yeah given that she le- well she leaves two million dollars to older son four million dollars to daughter three million dollars to her brother so that's nine million and then she leaves 34 million dollars to Ollie yeah. so she's worth four- 55 million plus her company yeah so I suppose if you think somebody's worth 55 million if I was worth 55 million and I left you two million as my son right. you'd probably be a bit miffed don't know, you're leaving me all your comics as well. <laughs> Which are worth 55 million. <laughs> of course. Anybody's money. <laughs> so the outcome wasn't really in any doubt and was not a surprise. Yeah. It was more we've, a case of... We've seen those kind of will scenes all yeah. over the place anyway. Yeah, they did an episode of Magnum. Yeah. Where it all just turned out to be a practical joke. But, you know. Yeah, but we've seen them before and the, the surprise is the stranger gets all the money and the family get nothing. Yeah. So yeah, it wasn't, wasn't a surprise at all. It was a good first issue though. Exceptional. I enjoyed it. Anyway, I'll find out what you thought of it in a minute. Um, for like we say, for for looking at what Barr decides to focus on as opposed to what he doesn't focus on, what he truncates or leaves out completely. All his time on the island, five years in the TV show, is just really brief here. We're not given any indication that the passage of time is is great, are we? Yeah. It but doesn't we, say he's been there a couple of years. He's not exactly changed. No, in this, we don't, that's one of the things as well, by not focusing on the origin, we don't get that he's a changed man by being on the island. He's just the same before and after. Except he's now got more of an interest in, more of a social conscience. Uh, I wouldn't say he's got much of a social conscience in this. He's just, um, he just goes off and does an adventure just because he can. Yeah. Well, comics. He, he can now use a bow, so, you know, why not use one? Yeah, alright, that's, that's fair enough, alright. Um, Plus, don't they actually point out he's only a member of the Justice League because it's something to do now that he's split up with his 
two-page romance. <laughs> his two-page romance that affected him deeply. Yeah. And he's never mentioned it before. <laughs> and will never mention it again. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like a TV show, isn't it? Um, it's, you know, the origin's a bit disappointing. I will say that. The fact that it was dis- dispatched so quickly was a bit disappointing. I mean, I don't want five years for the flashbacks. <laughs> that would be awful. But a little more learning how Ollie survived wouldn't have gone amiss. And like you said, seeing a, cha- a very definite change in his character mm. would have been nice as well. Seeing how that this experience changed him as a person. But mostly Barr just seems more preoccupied with establishing Ollie as being a rich man again. As yeah. getting his fortune back and putting him back in that. And it's that plot which really dominates the first issue. There's, there's no surprises which doesn't prevent it from being a very enjoyable comic book. We can guess from the flashbacks what the outcome's going to be, but the intrigue of the tale is who killed Abby Horn. Yeah. That it's a murder mystery. And the minute that you figure out that it's a murder mystery, crime noir thing, that kind of gives away who the baddie is. Because you don't have crime noir without a femme fatale. True. So that kind of spoils the ending somewhat, when you realise that there's only one potential suspect then. Yeah. Because all the other suspects are men. Yeah. What did you think of the first issue? Uh, I actually quite enjoyed it, other than it speeding through all the Green Arrow bits. Yeah, well, like we said, that's not the story he's telling. Exactly, it? but, I mean, as with all four of them, really, the most you see of Green Arrows in the last issue, the rest of it's only because we need some action to happen. Well, what I did find interesting, as we go along, once we get into issue three, he doesn't refer to him as Green Arrow. Okay. He calls him Arrow. Right. Because the CIA agent that we'll meet later on, when we get into the meat of it, calls him Arrow, not Green Arrow. Right. And I thought that was quite... So that's come from this comic, then, not Mike Grell. Because in the Mike Grell series, they don't call him anything, do they? I don't, never, I don't recall them ever referring to him as Green Arrow, or even by a, a superhero name. Right. But do they not just call him Archer, or, or stuff like that? Don't know. Not the guy in the cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, issue two's cover's pretty cool. A slight case of vertigo is the cover copy. And the title of the issue. Kind of gives away who the bad guy is. Uh, yeah. But that's the whole point of having the bad guy on the cover, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. you think, oh, it's Count Vertigo. I always liked him. Excellent. And then you open the issue and you get a bit disappointed. Because he's, he's not in it very much. <laughs> at all. I mean, one of the things about Count Vertigo is he does allow artists to just go crazy. Yeah. And Von Eden and Giordano fill the cover. They turn it upside down and generally just fill it with action. And having the logo be askance and the comics code stamp and the issue number also falling everywhere adds to the vertig- vertiginous, <laughs> I don't know if that's a word, feeling of the comic. It's unbalanced and, and that's as it should be. I liked the cover a lot. What about you? Yeah, I, I liked it, yeah. <laughs> it is a cover. <laughs> it is the, the front of the comic. Yeah, so it does It does exactly what we've, uh, we've established that it will do. I've already told you the title. Pay attention, there'll be a quiz. Ollie is adjusting to life in the corporate fast lane but spends more time going over the events of Abby's death in his head. None of the family, including Abby's son, Ted Jr., seem overly upset, with only Abby's brother, Max Stein, being saddened by her loss. They were all more upset that the money went to Ollie rather than to them. He heads for home, a swanky new apartment the size of a football field, and receives a package of doodats from the Science Institute, which he is using to make new trick arrows. Being rich hath its privileges. Under cover of night, Green Arrow decides to drop by the county coroner's office to read Abby's death report. The only odd detail is that Abby was clutching her hexagonal wedding ring rather than wearing it. A clue? 
GA has to find out a way for later as a security guard drops in and GA is forced to use a cryonic arrow on the man's gun hand and then effect an escape. Ollie, however, is not the defective. The defective. <laughs> He's a bit defective. Ollie, however, is not the detective the Batman is, and instead of analysing clues and following the trail, he decides the direct approach may yield more fruit. To that end, he visits everyone he believes to be a suspect, and informs them he knows who killed Abby. Thorndyke, the lawyer, warns Ollie off, but that night, at a party at Lord Sinclair's house, where he finds the family, including Cynthia, not speaking to him, Ollie's reckless gamble works, oddly, when a shot is taken at him. As Green Arrow, he finds the culprit, Ted Jr., but he suddenly spins around, loses his footing, and seems unsure of himself, like he's in a Kylie Minogue song. He falls off a cliff to the rocks below, and it turns out his dizzy spell was caused by Count Vertigo, who has been hired to silence Ted. Vertigo's considerable talents confuse Ollie, but his new feedback arrow zooms in on Vertigo's power source and makes it go BOOM! None of this helps Ted, who managed to draw a hexagonal shape in the sand as he died. The same shape as Abby's wedding ring. Ooh. Um, it's very Bronze Age, that, isn't it? That yeah. as they're dying, they managed to leave a clue of some kind. Yeah. You know, if you're going to have time to do that, would you not just write who did it? Just write the name <laughs> I, of I, the I, person that did it? I guess so, yeah. <laughs> Instead of, I know, I'm dying, but I leave him an obscure, abstract clue so that he has to puzzle out who my murderer is. Yeah, I'll, I'll help this guy a lot more than a, 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 a little clue. I don't want to make it too easy for him to solve. I don't want to make it too easy for him to solve my death. It's only issue two. <laughs> yeah. He's got two more issues to fill. Yeah. As you pointed out earlier on when we were discussing this before we ate tea... This is not designed to be read as we read it. Yeah. So what you get in each issue following number one is two or three pages of bringing the reader up to speed. Which I skipped. Uh, you can <laughs> skip them easily. Yeah. They're easy to sk- they're easily skippable. And in a couple of places, you could actually see where in a trade paperback reprint of this, they could just lop them out quite easily. Yeah. And just make it read as a, a coherent whole. So, yeah, I did the same as you. I, I tended to skip the flashback pages as well. I don't think I missed anything. No, we read it in the last issue. Yeah, that's true. Um, there's a lot of Matt Wagner in this issue, particularly, which mm. I think we mentioned at the top of the show. Some brilliant shading, and some of the colouring in this issue is not that bad. There is still some garish moments, but there's not really a lot you can do about that in this era of comics, is yeah. This is what they had to work with, unfortunately. Um, I'm always dead impressed by Batman's ability to swing around Gotham. From no vantage point whatsoever. How do you swing from the floor? Unless you're Spider-Man. Well, Green Arrow manages it here as well. Yeah. So, Mort Weisinger, no parallels whatsoever (laughs) to Batman at all. None. None at all. Nope. No. Clearly deluding himself. (laughs) Uh, I do like how everybody in comics is some kind of science genius. It's not only more Marvel than DC. Mm. But in this one, he just orders a bunch of parts from some electronics company and then just makes a bunch of trick arrows overnight. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's comics. Uh, with this arrow, I will disrupt yeah. any communications. That comes in useful later. Yeah. Which I thought was quite a nice touch, actually. I mm. thought that the feedback arrow that he makes to check whether his phone's been bugged, being the, the ultimate 
where he solves Count Vertigo. I actually thought that was clever. Yeah. Because that didn't feel like the James Bond seed where he's shown a bunch of gadgets that you know before the end of the film are going to save his life. Never be mentioned again. <laughs> I guess, yeah. So I, I thought that was, that was all right. I do think it would be great if we could do this in real life. You know, just go to Matlin's. Yeah. Buy a bunch of scientific doodats and, and make some shirt repellent bat spray out of it. Overnight. We'd have our own 80s TV show. We would. We could MacGyver it. We could, yeah. That is actually a word, isn't it? MacGyver in something. Is it? I think so. More in American over here, because nah. we, we don't know who MacGyver is, but, you know. Uh, page 8, artistically speaking, is another great page, down to the use of shading. And the panel layouts in that one are really good as well. I like that he's kind of opening the window of his apartment to leap out of it, but it looks like he's opening the panel yeah. that he's in. So I, th- I thought that was really good. And I, I just like that he swings over other panels. I think the layout work in this in this comic is absolutely fantastic. Really, really good. Page 11 has 18 panels on it. Mm. 18 panels. Never feels cramped. No. Because it's a, a back and forth between Ollie and his secretary, who ends up being the key to an awful lot of this, yeah. isn't she? She's a no-mark character, mm. and she's not one of the suspects, but she ends up being the woman who inadvertently helps him out an awful lot. I like Ollie shouting just because he has to shout. And then apologise. Plus his, his face on the next page, mm. that grin, is either quite hilarious or quite creepy. I'm going with hilarious. <laughs> yeah. It's only creepy because of his magnificent facial <laughs> That is true, yeah. How does no one ever figure out he's Green Arrow? If he if he wasn't Green Arrow with that facial hair, he could be a bad guy easily. <laughs> he could, yeah, with the goatee. Bad yeah. guys have goatees. Did it? That's the way it works. Isn't it? I, I love how he just goes around to everyone. Oh yeah, by the way, I know we've killed your mum. <laughs> this is some lovely tea, by the way. <laughs> he's not Batman, is he? He's a, <laughs> I love how crappy he is. I loved that. Yeah. I really love that about this story. There are an awful lot of these stories that the main character's totally in control. Yeah. And he's got wheels within wheels and plans within plans and he knows exactly where he's going to go next and how to go about this deductive game that he's playing. Oliver Queen in this story hasn't got a fracking clue. He's not. It's in the next issue, isn't it? Where there's yeah. a CIA agent and he's... Uh, he, and he, he tries to bluff, bluff yeah, yeah. <laughs> and fails. Yeah. I loved that about this story. Ollie doesn't solve this through intelligence or deductive reasoning. No. He solves it just by being a bull in a china shop. Yeah. All right. Tell everyone I know who killed it didn't work. What else can I do? <laughs> I know. I'll go and spend all the money. Yeah. And he's, he's really quite crap. Mm. But that in its own way is quite endearing. Yeah. And it kind of separates himself from Batman. Yeah, because it is, it, is, it is essentially, let's drop Oliver Queen in a Batman story yeah. and see how he copes. And the answer is, no, very well. <laughs> <laughs> but it worked. It worked exceptionally well. Page 16, though, required some typical comic suspension of disbelief. Right. Ted is aiming at Ollie. He shoots the glass of wine out of his hand. He continues to shoot at Ollie. Mm. That's the implication that we get here. He is continuing to shoot at Oliver Queen. Yet somehow, in between these four panels happening, Ollie's managed to slip away, yeah. change into Green Arrow, get outside, find Ted, and then fire an arrow at him to knock the gun out of his hand. Who did Ted think he was firing at? That's a good question. Was he just firing going, he was there a minute ago, he must still be there somewhere? Yeah, blind fire. <laughs> and no one noticed that Oliver Queen just disappears. 
I guess not. And no one noticed the, the gunshots. No. Well, apart from Ollie, obviously. Um, it's pace 17 before Count Vertigo appears. Yeah. But to be fair, Von Eden really goes to town on the art, opening up the book at this point, which so far has had lots of really small panels. Mm. Because, like Michael said, there's not been a lot of Green Arrow action, it's been a lot of talking and deductive reasoning, or as deductive as Oliver Queen gets. Hey, Captain Carrot's in an advert! Along with Warlord by Mike Grell, who would ultimately take over Green Arrow, that's cool. Um, but once Vertigo shows up, it's just big splash panels all the way with smaller panels within the big panels. It's a great effect, and it, it tells the story absolutely wonderfully. When Vertigo is defeated at the end of the book, the panels go back to being smaller, Yeah, which I thought was simply brilliant. Pages 19 and 20 is great. It's, it's like, what if um, Sinkovitz yeah. is Darley? Yeah, it is, it is Darley, it's Bill Sinkovitz, it's, um, it's Cal Vertigo lying across the entire page, which is split into four different panels, but everyone's upside down like an Escher painting, yeah. and there's a bit of Darley-esque sinking clocks, and, and yeah, and a lot of Bill Sinkovitz's um, design style. Was What year was it, 1983? Was Sinkovitz... Was he doing New Mutants at this point? Had he started becoming big at this point? Uh, or was know. he still a Neil Adams clone at this point? Because no. he starts... Moon Knight, it just looks like it's Neil Adams. Yeah. And then slowly he develops his own rather idiosyncratic style. Right. Which I think may have been a little bit later than this. So again, Trevor Von Eden not getting the credit that he deserves, in uh, in my opinion. Absolutely brilliant. Superb issue. Yeah. I thought. It's very Bronze Edge. Mm. You know, in that the first three pages recap the last issue. The dialogue has moments where it's a little bit expositional. But on the whole, this was just a great comic. I did feel, though, that the inclusion of Count Vertigo at the end was simply just to have a Green Arrow bad guy in. Yeah. Yeah, I don't don't disagree with you. I think that he's only here to to have a supervillain in the story. The fact that Trevor Von Eden does just such a fantastic job of the art when he does show up makes it work. But yeah, there is a feeling that we have to have a supervillain at some point. Mm. So let's bring in Count Vertigo. The art's brilliant. Um, it's dropping him into a Batman story like we've already said differentiates him from Batman Yeah. in that yes superficially they've, they've got these similarities but in every other respect they're completely different and I, I loved it I absolutely loved it DC's coming comics from the back of this has some interesting stuff because it's all pre-crisis look at the books here Justice League Wonder Woman Arak Son of Thunder Black Hawk Black Hawk was up to issue 260 right. DC Comics Present is an ambush bug issue <laughs> Fury of Firestorm by Jerry Conway, Pat Broderick, right. who we had, um, did we have Pat Broderick last week, or the week before? It was last week, wasn't it? It was Green Lantern number one. Yeah. It was Pat, that was released Broderick. Adventure Comics, the best of DC Digest, Amethyst, Batman, oh, Man Bat, by Don Newton, love Don Newton, GI Combat with the Haunted Tank, The Flash, Superman, which Superman issue was it? Oh, it's Lex Luthor, issue 385. New Teen Titans 33, Saga of Swamp Thing. I don't know if that's Alan Moore at this point. Oh, DC Comics Presents Annual Number 2, Superwoman. That's a great issue. So a full page of DC Comics coming attractions. And what's funny is almost all of them are still a thing. Yeah. Yeah, they're all still around in some capacity. They're completely different. Yeah. But as titles, they they still exist, don't they? And the Star Wars Jedi Arena video game for uh, the Atari, I presume. Doesn't say anywhere, just says Parker Brothers. So was that Atari? Uh, Look at them graphics. Yeah. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? No other really cool adverts in this, really, other than that. But, oh, you yeah, know, good issue, very good issue. Very enjoyable. Do you like it? Uh, yeah. 
Is that just going to be your... Yeah, it's all right, this. Yeah, I think it makes a better Oliver Queen story than a Green Arrow story. Yeah, well, sometimes... the Green Arrow bits feel a bit forced. There's, sometimes there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. And th- there are times where I get what you're saying, but the Green Arrow bits are there just to supplement the Oliver Queen story. Yeah. And he doesn't... There are points sometimes... Until episode four, issue four, sorry, he doesn't really need to be Green Arrow. No. At any point. He only is because... Because he needs to be. Yeah, in a Green Arrow story. Yeah, this wasn't the era where they did issues of Green Arrow that Green Arrow didn't appear in. Yeah. As opposed to now where they may do an issue where Green Arrow isn't in it. Oliver Queen may be in it, hmm. but Green Arrow won't be in it. Issue 3's got a really good cover. Uh, Green Arrow and a detective, who we've not actually met yet, open fire as they're under siege in an alleyway. It's a great use of Dutch angles, because they're supposed to be hiding behind a wall in an alleyway, and there's just black lines above it of presumably the walls that are hiding behind they're being shot at green arrows fighting back it looks like he's actually got a proper arrow head on that one yeah so maybe he's took somebody's eye out some of them are a bit blunt yes some of them are a bit you know blunt but uh, it's a good cover in fact none of these covers suck no I think all of these I think all the art is, is brilliant hexagon of death green arrow persuades Vertigo to talk. He tells G.A. he was asked to watch Horton Pharmaceuticals for a secret substance, but that he was to question Ted Jr., not actually kill him. This doesn't help G.A. as he runs down his suspects, Abby's daughter, Cynthia, and her hubby, Lord Gerald Sinclair, Ted Horton Jr., deceased Abby's brother, Max Stein, and Thorndike, Abby's attorney. It was his junior partner, Deirdre Wagner, that put him onto the whole thing. His only real clue is that both Abby and Ted had indicated that a hexagonal shape was somehow involved. The next day at work, Ollie is approached by a CIA spook who smells something is wrong and he tries to swap information with Ollie, but given that Ollie is clueless, this doesn't end well. Ollie then tries to bluff the board and that ends in a stalemate as well. Ollie decides to change tack. If he can't beat them in the boardroom, he'll make them fight on his terms. He starts an elaborate plan that involves him basically becoming a playboy and living the high life, feigning that he has given up and is only interested in the money. It seems to work. Thorndike reports back to his shadowy employers whilst Ollie tries to work out what the hexagonal object is all about. The answer comes from his secretary, who tells him it's a benazine ring, and wouldn't you know it, that's the password that lets Ollie into the computer. Seems that Ted Horton Sr. had invented an oil substitute, and no one wants that. There's no profit in it. Death followed for both Horton Sr. and Abby, and now seemingly for Oliver Queen, whose computer has been hacked. However, the CIA spook from earlier stops Ollie from being rubbed out, and Ollie, as GA, returns the favour. Arrow says he will accompany CIA spook to the location from the computer, a yacht out at sea. After all, these men killed Abby Horton for a useless formula, and Arrow wants them to know just how mad that's made him. Uh, excellent opening page of um, Arrow, Green Arrow, doing the, the William Tell thing, the Robin Hood thing, yeah. shooting stuff off, off somebody's head, and um, the fruit that he's using is progressively smaller. And sort of the panels. Yeah, which is another brilliant artistic touch. So it starts with an apple, then it becomes a purr. And then is it a grape, the last yeah. thing that he puts on his head? And um, there's some brilliant dialogue here. People know you You brought me here! No, they don't. There'll be an inquiry if I die! No, there won't. That was funny. The only problem with scenes like this, though, is that you wouldn't be scared. If he, if Green Arrow whose only skill is that he's excellent... An excellent with, with bowman. An excellent bowman. If he's threatening you with bowing skills, surely yeah. you're going to be quite confident that he will achieve them. Also, if you're a supervillain in questioning, 
surely you'd be like, well, he's not going to kill me. Mm. Yeah, oof. see, post-Longbow Hunters it would work. True. Because post-Longbow Hunters, Hollywood, oh, yeah. Hollywood probably put an arrow through his eye. Yeah. No, he wouldn't. He felt bad about it. He felt <laughs> bad about it afterwards. And so, well, see, that's the whole Batman thing, isn't it? Batman doesn't actually kill you, but I can hurt you. Yeah. But that's not what Ollie's doing here, is he? He's threatening to put an arrow through him. Mm. So, yeah, I see what you mean. Although it's probably still a bit scary to have a great shot off your head. I guess so, yeah, I suppose. So. Alright. Anyway, I thought that was funny. I thought those lines were funny. Ollie, also very funny. Ollie screwing up the CIA conversation and trying to bluff the board was also great. As we've already said, it's such a refreshing breath of fresh air to have a hero who's completely clueless yeah. about how to go forward with a, a, a private investigation into a murder. I like how the CIA conversation takes part. Uh, we jump in every 15 minutes mm. and it'll be mid-conversation and it ends with him saying, and don't do that again, don't bluff if you're going to fail. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely great. Mm. I really got a kick out of that. I didn't like Jimmy Savile being on page nine. <laughs> yeah. That's unfortunate. That, that's the dark secret of this company. <laughs> you don't yeah. want to look in the basement. No, that's that's very unfortunate that uh, that he's the. Yeah, I, I loved this one. Action, intrigue, humour, great art. It's part three, so there's not really a lot to actually talk about. It's where you get the information that leads you into the climax. There was a feeling that some of it was a tad convenient. Yeah. That the secretary, after Ollie spent all night going, what the hell does this shit mean? Just walks in and goes, oh yes, that's a Benazine thing. And that's the password yeah. to get him onto the computer. So that felt a little bit contrived. But all, all told, this is put together exceptionally well and I'm loving every Bronze Age minute of it. Also loving the Meanwhile pages that Dick Giordano used to write. I loved this one, A Day in the Life of Dick Giordano, which started at 4am, and you only got home from work at 7.30. Yeah. He put it long days, didn't he? Paying all of his, his subordinate inkers. Well, it says here he gets up at 4am and he did some inking himself. Right. He's inking the, the Teen Titans drug book, which he does until uh, 6.15, although he does say uh, Bill Collins is helping me ink the backgrounds he's going to finish it up. Too tight a deadline for me, he says. So, okay. Uh, 7.28, he catches a train. So he, he didn't, you know, fair play to him. He put the hours in. And this is where you learned all about the DC offices. Karen Berger's here, Bob LaRose, um, Pat Bernstein, Roy Thomas. Uh, Julie Schwartz pops in with the news that Superman and Supergirl will be a bit late this month. No sweat, says Dick. <laughs> Do you know, I think he actually said, no, they won't. They'll be on time. Yeah. Which is, you know, what he should say. No letters page. Oh yeah, there is a letters page in this one, so they must have sent out preview issues. Nobody, um, nobody that I recognise. I mean, Delmore Walters Jr. and Willis Lee Hopkins have always had letters published, but I don't know if they, um, if they became anybody. Issue three. Uh, yeah, it was. It was good. It it's, was. There's not much to this one. No, it's the. It, like I say, it's the. It's, it's the what? part of the story where they change direction slightly. And yeah. they just propel you into the climax. So there's not really a lot to individually say about it. He conveniently finds the password that enables him to find out what this entire plot's about. Yeah. The oil substitute, which kind of came from nowhere. But, alright. Issue four's cover as Ollie, Ollie, Ollie Oxenfree has Ollie hanging from a yard arm, firing arrows left and right while he's shot at. Very Bond mm. in many ways. Like the CIA in the background fighting off uh, numerous bad guys on a ship. Spectre. It is. Could be Spectre. Yeah. We've been expecting you, Mr. Bond. 
Is it Blofeld in the next one? Is it totally Blofeld? No, Christopher Waltz is not playing Blofeld. Is he not? No. Is that, has that been confirmed? It's, he's being very adamant that, that he's, he's not playing, playing Blofeld. Blofeld. He's playing Blofeld's son. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm out to kill you, Mr. Bond, for dropping my father into a chimney. <laughs> So that was your father. I looked a lot different back then. <laughs> Showdown at sea. Arrow and his team, including some CIA men and Black Canary, storm the yacht that has now been taken over by a tanker. A smoke arrow allows the team to land safely, but Captain Lash is determined to find the oil substitute formula. Rum sodomy and the Lash. He should have had partners called Rum and Sodomy. Okay. That would have been brilliant. Lash finds the formula in a bust of Horton's head, but his escape is hampered by Arrow and his crew. Arrow and Lash take each other on, but Captain Lash proves to be well-named, preventing any of Arrow's arrows from reaching him by whipping them out of the sky. Arrow takes the direct approach, firing off an acid arrow which eats away at Lash's lash and causes him to fall into the briny deep. Arrow catches Lash, but the formula for the oil substitute falls into the sea and sinks beneath the waves. Arrow tells Lash to tell him who was behind all of this, or Lash will be spending time in Davy Jones's locker, and he won't be singing I'm a Believer. After Lash talks, it's a matter of mopping up. Arrow heads to Gerald Sinclair's office, at his home, to confront him. Lash says that's where all the curls came from. So Ollie is surprised to find Gerald sprawled across his desk, bleeding to death. He turns to see Cynthia, well aware that Arrow is also Oliver, who tells him that Gerald will be found dead next to the Arrow's body, and the company will all be hers. Gerald was the brains behind the oil cartel, but Cynthia wants it all to herself. She never takes her final shot, however, as Gerald, a gun in his hand to make it look like a suicide, shoots Cynthia dead. The next day, Ollie hands over control of Horton Industries and the money to Max Stein. He drinks to Abby's name before leaving the building. A good opening action beat that sees Von Eden open up his panel layouts considerably to accommodate the action, as opposed to the, the small panels of previous issues. This comic features a number of larger page long panels come from top to bottom, giving the action room to breathe. I like this opening. I thought this was quite action-packed and interesting. Yeah. Especially seeing as, like you said, the, the action's been quite low-key. So it's... That's what all this is Because it's been, it's been building to this finale. So the act... This is... It's a very James Bond ending. Yeah. I didn't exactly get what Green Arrow was doing flying the plane right down and then back up again. It looked cool. I guess. Was he not just making it so they could all jump out? Well, no, but he, he, he makes it so that the bad guys know they're there. Yeah, and then they hover the plane and then they attack. Yeah, surely it would have made more sense to do this in secret. But then you've got that, that cool splash page with a diving through all the bullets. Yeah, that don't hit them. Which reminds me of the Ratchet and Clank levels. We got to skydive <laughs> and there's all the rockets coming up and you have to fly through them. I love what he says. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's Green Arrow! Yeah. That was funny. <laughs> I don't know why that appealed to me. I just thought it was funny. Uh, obviously the action is just action. Captain Lash. Is Captain Lash a major Green Arrow villain? I don't know. I can't say that I, I I remembered him. I kind of think I know his name from somewhere, mm. but I can't. Surely he'd be more suited to being an Aquaman bad guy. I guess. Given that he's a pirate on the sea. How often does Green Arrow get out on the sea or Batman? Whenever he's out in his expensive yacht. Oh, yeah, right, okay. Yeah, fair enough. All right, that's okay. Uh, the formula is lost, which was a bit of, again, 
completely predictable. Yeah. They weren't going to keep this formula that solves the world's energy crisis, were they? Because, you know, that's not going to stick around in the DCU. The thing that got me about this is it falls to the floor, presumably lost forever. The CIA have a rough idea of where this is. Would they not go searching Would they not just send a lot of underwater divers to look for it? I guess so. I mean, I know it fell... They know exactly where it fell in the water. Yeah. So it's, it's radius is... I mean, I suppose... It depends where they are. They never actually say where they are. If they're over the Marianas Trench, then, you know, they're out of log. Yeah. Because that's the deepest point, isn't it? So that could have fallen all the way to the bottom and we'd never find it. But if they're just, you know, outside of Star City... Yeah, yeah. That'd be that hard, can it? Send a couple of divers in, see if they can find it. Um, the conclusion of the story, there is a big flaw in Cynthia's plan. Right. Right. She's already set it up. Gerald has shot himself through his head with the gun that's in his hand. Right? Yeah. Then she's going to kill Green Arrow and make out that Green Arrow killed... That Sinclair... I always always think he's Brett Sinclair because of um, that Roger Moore TV show. Right. What was that? The Persuaders. That she's going to make out that Green Arrow was killed by Sinclair and then shot himself... Yeah. Afterwards, which doesn't make any sense to me. But, but okay. her gun. Yeah. And he has a gun in his hand. Exactly. Exactly right. So, he... She's going to try and pass this story off, yet Sinclair is going to have shot himself... Yeah. ...with a different gun from that that killed the Green Arrow. Police would figure that out, wouldn't they? They would, yeah. Don't make sense, does it? Even if, even if like, um, she used his gun to kill Sinclair... And then her gun to shoot Green Arrow that we see, that's still one bullet missing. Yeah. She's not thought this through. She's she's not, yeah. She's not quite as good as a femme fatale as she likes to think but she is. But then again, that whole, ah, headshots are messy, but not fatal, especially not in this case, was yeah. very convenient. Yeah, especially given that we've just seen Cynthia die instantly from a headshot. But she, she didn't die, it, like, she just got shot through the head and was still fine to... Well, maybe it took a minute to register. I actually liked that, because you're looking at it going, is that just a printing error? And he's right. just shot, boom, right through the forehead. I guess. That's a very weak bullet if it's... Maybe he shot her through the back of the head, and that's the exit. Yeah, that's... Or would that like, make more of a mess? It'd make a mess out of the back. Right. What, 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 what's more a mess? Is it the Is impact? it the, en- the entrance or the exit? I don't know. Because we don't really get any sense of what direction he shot her from. Because he slumped over the desk, but were... We don't get from the art where she is in relation to him. I guess. Do we? Why did he take all this time to shoot her anyway? Yeah. Surely why if he's why did he wait? Out, he probably is dead. Why did he wait for her to explain her plan? Yeah. Before shooting her. Why did she not walk through the door and he went, you shot her? <laughs> Unless it, it was like, right, I'll wait for her to kill Green, Green Arrow and then I'll shoot her. But then he started blacking out going, bugger, I can't last longer. But why at this point does he want her to kill Green Arrow? There's clearly nothing in it for him if he's dead. Yeah, no, it's... It didn't work, did it? It kind of made this last issue fall a bit flat. Yeah, the the actual ending is a bit disappointing. Mm. In that, well, Green Arrow doesn't bring anyone to justice. No. I mean, he raises a glass to Abby, he's found who did it, but they're both dead, but he didn't do anything. Hmm. So it's it's one of them, she's already killed Sinclair when he arrived. If he hadn't gone there and just reported it to the police, 
she could conceivably have still passed this off as a suicide. Because surely the CIA were on the boat with him. So on the boat ride home, Green Arrow never mentioned to the CIA what Captain Lash told them. Yeah. (laughs) Surely he would have just said to the CIA, right, yeah, there you go, that's who's doing it, go and arrest him. That would have made much more sense, wouldn't it? It would have, and it would have been a case closed for the CIA. Yeah. And Green Arrow would have got more justice for Abbey, the person that killed her, is going to jail. Yeah. I think that would have been more satisfying. Yeah. But, you know, it is what it is, I suppose, at this point. I mean, this is as Bronze Age as they come. But it is nevertheless hugely enjoyable. Well-paced, typically DC of this era. It's a detective noir, albeit one without a gumshoe. So it came as no real surprise once you realised that, that the the femme fatale was Cynthia. Although there is a little bit of a twist in that Gerald was the bad guy throughout the story, hmm. really. It's only at the end Cynthia's decided she'd rather have it all and double-cross his husband. So that I suppose that's a little bit of a left-field twist. Yeah. But once you realise there's going to be a femme fatale and you're going through the list of suspects, you narrow it down to one, don't you? Mm-hmm. Cynthia's the only one that it could possibly be. Um, it's still, I thought this was a great updating of the character. Sadly, this is this is largely ignored by pretty much everyone, including Green Arrow fans. I think there are elements that have still survived. Yeah, the TV show Arrow started, Comic Book Resources did something when Arrow started. They produced an article purporting to cover every origin of the Green Arrow, and they skipped this series completely. Right. But yet, like you said, there are bits of this that have been being called Arrow. Yeah, and everyone remembers the trick arrows. And everyone remembers the trick And he doesn't use many trick arrows in this story. He's pulled that back a bit. Yeah. There's one or two like non-lethal arrows that he uses to get himself out of situations. But he is only one step away at this point from actually using real arrows. It's not much of a leap from this version of Oliver Queen to Mike Grell's version of Oliver Queen. No, yeah. Which would only be five years in the future, thereabouts... From, from this point. I mean, I know the origin's dispatched in, in two pages, but this was a hard-edged green arrow. A man not afraid to make people think he was willing to kill, even if he, he wasn't doing. And I, I think it's a real shame that this didn't springboard a renaissance for the, for the character. I mean, we'd have to wait until Mike Grell would make him hard-edged for the Longbow Hunters. The next time we'd see Green Arrow was just as a backup strip in Detective Comics. Which is a shame. Uh, the letters page, again, they must have sent out WhatsApp. They don't mention that the series has been successful enough to warrant a series. Um, apparently, Trevor Von Eden went over to Thriller, which is a book I never read. In terms of, of ads in the issue, the only one that really stuck out at me has been particularly noteworthy, he said as he vamps for time trying to find it, was the Batman and the Outsiders one. Two-fisted first issue by Mike W. Barr and Jim Aparo. May 19th. Metamorpho, Harlow, Katana. It's Halo, isn't it? Katana, Black Lightning, Geoforce. Joined the Dark Knight detective to become the world's greatest super team sensation. And meanwhile, column is all about the fact that DC now have the rights to Star Trek. Which was quite interesting. When did they lose the rights? Uh, Around the time of Deep Space Nine. Was it straight to IDW or was it Dark Horse? No, it went back to Marvel. Alright. Went back to Marvel for a bit in the 90s, and then Dark Horse have never had Star Trek. 
Right. Then, okay. then it went to IDW, I think, and IDW have had it uh, ever since. So yeah, that was, was good. Very, it's very well worth checking out. Because I don't think this is expensive. I know I had one issue of this missing for ages, and your mum found it for me. Your right. mum got really into trying to find me issue three of this. Catch you slipping. Yeah. No, no, because she, she got really excited in the thrill of the hunt. Right, okay. And it actually showed her, this is what fun about back issue hunting, that trying to track down the elusive issue. You know where she found me, issue three? Where? Florida. All right. She found it in one of them comic shops we went in Florida. I think it was only a dollar. Fair $1. twenty-five, something like that. So, Angela finally completed that run for me. And I think it's well worth checking out. If you like your Bronze Age stories, if you like a bit of Green Arrow, I think it's a much underrated miniseries and well worth finding in the back issue bins. It's never been reprinted. Obviously, it's not cool enough yeah. for that, but it's worth looking at. You like it? Yeah. It's alright. Good Oliver Queen story. Yeah, it's good solid Oliver Queen story. Dip him in in a Batman story so he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Yeah. Worth. Very fun. Very good. Very nice. Very good read. Very much enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed it too. Next time on an all new episode of Hey Kids Comics, it's all about J. Scott Campbell's Danger Girl. We'll see you next week. Bye bye. Goodbye. Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only, and no infringement is intended, so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us as we have no money. Certainly this show was not turned into a lucrative revenue stream, as no money is made from this either, which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them, and look after them, but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com, and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name, and Comics as the surname. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. Proofread. I did indeed proofread. So you're happy today that yeah. I proofread. It's usually funny when you stumble over yourself. Yeah, I've probably still made a mistake. So I'm not getting paid for this. It would be good if you did get paid for taking shits. <laughs> You'd be there every day, wouldn't you? Yeah. You're like giving blood and donating sperm. I'd be rich. <laughs> As a teenage boy, I would be wealthy. <laughs> well, I meant from taking dumb. Oh, yeah, okay. sure. <laughs> Yes. Just yeah. not at the same time, that'd be a bit weird. That would be a bit weird if you're taking blood while you were tugging one on. Unless the nurse was particularly. <laughs> Again, I meant taking a. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were 
saying nurses' uniforms did it for you. That's, that's where you were going with that. Those guys in nurses' uniforms. Those. Well, I don't judge, dude. <laughs> I'm living let live, mate. 